0: faces from the nations, that which is such a beautiful thing about our church, and so that was a real treat. Thank you, Christopher and the worship team, for the the offering last week, and also for those of us who were able to be a part of the whole weekend, we had a Good Friday service uh, that was very meaningful, both for adults and children alike, and I want to Thank Bree Livinggood, our children's pastor, along with Christopher and the team, for pulling off the, that service as well. We were very blessed and encouraged with the opportunities to worship together in a couple of different ways last weekend. And I hear I've heard stories that post Easter service, there were lots of dinners and fellowships that went on um, around around the Easter meal. We had we had a house full of people in our in our home, from college students to internationals and single moms that were with us um, on Sunday, and I heard different families. Menezes, I heard that you had a full house, and it was fun to be there and celebrate. Uh, I heard that there was a powerful time of worship after dinner where we talked about what it would be like if we met Jesus again. Uh, and so the test moves of that. So so beautiful to um, just hear about the life of God, not just happening, and we know this, right? Not just happening in this moment. In this, so thank you for living for Jesus 24-7, seven days a week. Uh, we, we, we talked, and it's actually interesting what happened at the Menezes household, but we talked last week, because that's where we're going to go a little bit today. We talked last week that when Jesus rose from the grave, um, he appeared to people in the scriptures teach us that uh, probably for about 40 days, Acts tells us that for 40 days there were sightings of Jesus. And these sightings happened to individuals, couple, uh, you know, twos. They happened to small groups. Uh, 1 Corinthians talks about a gathering of over 500 people that encountered um, the resurrected Jesus. Uh, We have five different appearances that Paula mentioned, Paul mentioned seven, seven different accounts in the Gospels of Jesus' um, appearing to people after he was resurrected. And I think there's purpose and intent for how Jesus went about it. Amen? Anytime that God or Jesus does something, um, it's intentional. Uh, there's a reason. And I think that the first reason was that he wanted to make it very clear for the doubters that were there during that time and for us today that he's alive. Not just one person talked about it. That's a crazy person. Not just a group. They can make a pact and and uh, uh, try to come up with a story. But hundreds of people in different occasions saw the risen Christ and talked about it and wrote it down. And sad to say, but but convincing in its own way that many of these, especially those who were preachers of the gospel, ministers of the church, gave their life because of the testimony of Jesus. Because they believed that Jesus was who he said he was, that he wasn't just a great teacher or a great man, but he was the savior of all mankind. After he died, it should have been over, but it wasn't. Jesus showed himself alive, and these men and women lived their lives with such an, such an eagerness to proclaim Jesus' after his resurrection, appeared because he wanted to testify, I'm alive. But the second thing that I believe that he wanted to do was he wanted, us, wanted to leave with us one last time his will and testament for what he wanted to see happen in our lives. You know, when we die, we uh, usually write up. Most of, most of the time, if we're thinking ahead, we have a, real, a will written that describes how we want our stuff to be handed out, and how we want to be remembered, and we write it down. We have a lawyer officially uh, uh, declare that it's 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 from our it's our desire, and then an executor of a will, oftentimes a family member, is put in charge so that when that person dies, the will is read, and we all that are are alive get to hear what this person wanted to see happen after his or her death. It just so happened that Jesus did die, and he did say some things before he died, but he rose again, so he just was a living will. He was walking around for 40 days saying, until I ascend, I just want you to know this is what I want to give you, and this is how I want you to live. And so we are going to take a moment, take some happen after his resurrection and before he ascends into heaven and listen to Jesus' will for his disciples, both then and for us, because as we read, we read ourselves as Jesus wanted us to into the story, the story of the living God. All right, so those last words through the lens of Peter. And I chose Peter because a lot of the different accounts have Peter in the story. And uh, the, last, the last part of our time this morning will end with one of the most important conversations, I believe, with Jesus and his followers before he ascended. And so let's look at John 21 this morning. So open up your Bibles, pull out your cell phones, your tablets. For those of you who have memorized the whole New Testament, get your, get your mind geared up. Go ahead and go, however you do it, flip over in your mind to John 21. And if none of that's true, we'll put it up on the screen. So before we go there, let me set the stage. And let me say this, one more thing about, about Jesus and his resurrection and his appearing and, and teaching during his time on earth before his ascension. The purpose, I believe, of Jesus' written word to us or his communicated word to them at that time was, you've, you've seen a lot of things happen through my life. You've heard a lot of things about my life if you've read the Gospels. But I want you to know this, and it's, it's, it's what he said when he was alive before his death in John 14. He says, I tell you the truth, verse 12. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus is not just speaking he is commissioning, and as we'll learn a little bit later, he's commissioning with his authority and with his power to do greater things than he has done. And I believe that's not only through our own individual lives, but one of the greatest things he did is to send his spirit into the world so that he could multiply his presence throughout the world where millions upon millions of people live out this living faith with the power of God on a daily basis. John 21. So, the stage. We've got the disciples. They have uh, many that are in this scene, in this story, have seen the res- resurrected Lord. They are probably talking about it. Um, You've got to remember that in this moment in history, they are in a, in a unique position because they have walked with Jesus. They've witnessed his persecution. They've witnessed his death. They've experienced the dark hour of him being dead in a grave. They have. Been awakened with joy and excitement at his resurrection. He has appeared to them um, in different ways, and then he disappears. He comes in and he goes away. And here they are in this in-between period of time, both with probably with this incredible thrill and wonder and excitement, mixed with some apprehension and some fear and some anticipation. What is God going to say next? What's Jesus going to do next? What's what's coming? We also need to remember that these weren't ordinary people. You know, they're not angels floating around on earth. They're just good old folk like you and me. And we know that they came from all different walks of life, and one of the walks of life they came from was that some of these men were fishermen. And so we take up the story here in John 21. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee, and this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. He was tired, he's probably, you know, whatever, but that for a fisherman, that's like, I'm going to go take a nap. I'm going to go, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? (laughs) Yeah, right. That old guy on the, the shore that hasn't been with us all night asking if we've caught any fish. No, they replied, probably a little bit agitated, maybe. But then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat. You'll get some. There's there's no words in between the exclamation point of some and so, but there could be all kinds of discourse about what was going on in their mind. Throw out the net on the other side of the boat. That's quite quite an instruction from somebody who hasn't been, been with us, but they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, and that's always funny too, right? When you're reading John when he talks about himself. I don't know. I just think it's so funny. Then the disciple that Jesus loved. You see, the disciple that Jesus loved is the person who's writing this story. It's John. He said, I just always think that's funny. Then the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he'd stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. And when they got there, they found waiting for them fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you have just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore, and there were 153 large fish And yet the net hadn't torn. Now, if it was modern day, there would be a lot of pictures that are posted on Instagram by the fishermen. This is a fisherman's story. It's such an interesting little piece that John puts in there. But it's true. If you're a fisherman, you know what he's saying. We went out and fished, and they were this big. And there were a lot of them. How many? I tell you how many there were. I counted them. 153. We caught 153 big fish, the fisherman's tail, and the nets hadn't torn. So now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said, and none of the disciples. And Jesus served them the bread. and This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. My question to all of you Sunday schoolers in here, all of you people who have walked with the Lord for a while, who have maybe walked with the Lord recently, but have done some reading in the New Testament, specifically the four Gospels. When you hear this story, do you start to go, wait a minute, I've heard this story before. Wait, wait, wait this sounds really familiar, but there's something's a little bit different about it. But I, gosh, I, I, I see something there that I've heard before. I think that this is what Jesus was doing. and I think that this is what John 21 is all about. I think Jesus... Who knows how he did it? He could have just done it as a result of Peter wanting to fish. He might have even put the thought into Peter's mind, I want you to go fishing tonight. Because I've got something I want to do in your life. I've got something that I want to reveal to you about who you are and what I'm calling you to. But in order for you to get a hold of what I'm calling you to, I want to remind you of where you've come from. Yes. Amen? Amen. For many of us in this room... The story is not just about what's going to happen. The story is about Isaac and Jacob, the God of the yesterday, today, and forever. The God who saved us and set us free is alive today, standing on the shore, and he's calling us to something new, but he's reminding us that he's always been with us, and he's done great works before he can do them again. We're seeing Peter and the disciples' story played in review right before our eyes. Jesus is reminding them of some things they've already experienced. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, let's, let's, take some, let's go back in time here for a little bit and let's see what's happening. I believe that the first thing that Jesus is doing is reminding them of their calling. Do you remember the story in Luke 5? Let's go back to Luke 5 and see how, if this jogs your memory of, well, I, I, I remember that story. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, That's interesting. There he is standing by the the lake again. That's probably one of his, his favorite hangout spots to talk to people about who he was. He's hanging out by the lake, the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to who? To Simon Peter. And asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've been working hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. Does that sound familiar? But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the one whom Jesus loved, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Wow! Isn't that crazy? Here's the story of John 21, the end of the story, so to speak, before the ascension, where Jesus has died, resurrected, appeared on the shore. And yet here is almost the same exact story three or four years earlier where he's calling Peter and his buddies for the first time to put their trust in him and follow them. He's saying to Peter in John 21, I want you to remember to be a fisher of men is still alive today. And he's still calling you to the same call, to the same purpose that I called you to when I called you then. And he wants Peter in this moment in John 21, to remember the calling that he experienced from Jesus. He wants him to remember the brokenness and dependence on the Lord. He wants to remember, you know, at that moment I doubted that this great teacher that was teaching the crowds knew anything about my life, knew anything about fishing, could break into my world and and, and turn my world upside down, and he did. He didn't just do a little miracle with fish, but he did something to my heart, and he broke me. He broke me of my pride. He broke me of my arrogance, and he awakened me to the fact that I am not God, but he is. Anybody ever been in that place? In that place where God entered your world? You might not be a fisherman. You might be a teacher. You might be a nurse. You might have been a student. You might have been in your home as a child. I don't know where you're your, your story starts with Jesus, but at some point, many of us in this room who call themselves Christians came to a place where Jesus called out to them or called out to you in your, in your life journey. And in the middle, and I want you to remember this, I meant to say this at the beginning of the sermon, but this story that we're, we're hearing today is about you putting your place and your, you're putting your, yourself in this story. Where did God call you? What, how did he reach out to you? You've heard my story you've you've heard uh, but i but, but I get to talk about it all the time, so i 'll talk about it again when I was twelve, and the spirit of God spoke to me as my brother, my older brother of five years laid his hand on, his, on my shoulder and said, "Do you want to give your heart to jesus and in with tears and you know my our preacher was a great preacher i can 't remember anything that he preached about that morning, but what I remember is the presence of God, and God broke my heart, and in my twelve year old um, uh, Pride and humility, and the sin, and whatever was going on in my life, there was an awareness that I was not God, and He was, and I wanted a Savior, preacher. But I bowed before the living God, and I said, God, if You would take and He me and love me, I'll be Yours forever. I'll follow You for the rest of my life. And He said, Come follow me. In the same way that Jesus at the lake, um, that first story in Luke five, called these men to follow Him, He called me, and I responded. And he's reminding Peter, as he's reminding me and you today, the call that happened whenever in your life is irrevocable. And I'm calling you again. I'm calling you to something great. Do you remember your calling? Do you remember your salvation? Do you remember your youthful zeal? Or when I say youthful, you might have been older when you came to Christ. But that zeal, that reckless abandon to Jesus the first time you met him. Anybody remember that? I remember that. But that's what happened to Peter. I believe that this story takes on another memory for Peter. Do you remember this in Matthew 14? But Jesus immediately said to them as he's walking by them. Remember, Jesus walks kind of like a ghost or a person outside their boat. And they look over there and he says... Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Remember that story? When I, and you go back to John 21, and there he is again in the boat. And there, there Jesus is again, outside the boat. And there again, Jesus, Peter realizes it's Jesus. He had, he had help from the one that Jesus loved. And he said, you're right, it's Jesus. But it wasn't the one whom Jesus loved who jumped out of the boat, was it? It was Peter. And I believe it for all of you Scooby-Doo fans, I think Scooby-Doo might have been running on the top of the water. I don't know what happened. All I know is that when he jumped out of the boat... He didn't care. He didn't have doubt anymore. He wasn't afraid. It might have been 10 feet. It might have been a foot. I don't know what happened. It centers around his zeal to get to Jesus. I'm not going to wait for us to row the boat back to Jesus. Jesus is on the shore, and I'm heading out of this boat as quick as I can to get to him. Anybody remember the zeal? that you have experienced both in your salvation or in your life when you've been aware that Jesus is alive, that everything around you is, that the the seen world is not as great as the unseen, that the Jesus that lives in you is more important or more precious than any possession that you could have, and that that revelation of Jesus caused you to want to hunger for him, to seek him, to study his word, to meet with him, to, to talk to people about Jesus. Anybody been there? I have. I you know, remember one time when I was young, having a revelation of Jesus as I was taking a shower. That's where a lot of my revelations happen. And I, I, I was aware of how great and awesome and wonderful he was. And I hopped out, put on my clothes, opened the door, and looked outside. And the first person I saw, I ran after him saying, Jesus loves you. I was a crazy man. I, I don't think that that person came to know Jesus that morning. I, I, I think they might have been running away from me. But there was a zeal in my heart because of what God had done in my life. And that's kind of how I see Peter. I see Peter as this reckless, uh, impatient person who has had a revelation and a friendship with the living God, and he wants to be with him. You were convicted. You responded to me. I walked with you. We did great things together, and I know that you love to be in my presence and I know that you're not a man who doubts me anymore. Come and run into my presence. Do you remember your moments of zeal, your moments of passion, both in the, in the, at the beginning of your walk with Jesus, but maybe even to yesterday, today, and how Jesus is your all in all. John, Jesus was reminding Peter of his zeal that day. And what he was calling him to. Jesus said to Peter, don't be, be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You're not going to just be a fisher fisherman of fish, you're going to be fishes for men. Fish for men and, and and that is the main call that Jesus speaks every time that he appears to people throughout his time between the resurrection and ascension. Listen to some different different passages of scripture, different moments where he talks to disciples. Matthew 28:18. Jesus came and told them, "This is in that in between time. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Luke 24, 45 through 47. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scripture. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. This was Jesus' greatest purpose to communicate. If you hear anything he said as he went from different groups to different encounters in this in-between time, he always communicated to them, tell other people about me. Don't be ashamed of me or the secret that you know that they can be forgiven in their sins. Don't hold on to the truth or the secret that you know about me. Don't hide it under a bushel. Don't let it be the thing that you treasure, but you don't give away. Your purpose, if I live in you, apart from all the other great things that I'm going to gift you to do and that you're going to do for humanity and the ways you're going to serve and love people, if it is not attached to the good news that Jesus Christ, the Savior of all mankind, is alive and he died for the forgiveness of your sins and he rose from dead to conquer sin and death in your life and he lives forevermore and he's inviting you, if that message is not lived for in your life, and testament of God. This is what he called the church to. This is what he calls us to. And he says to Peter, you're gonna be a fisherman. And he reminds Peter of that call, I believe, on those shores. And he calls us to go. And I just wanna encourage you with this because sometimes that's really intimidating and nobody does it the same way. And I'm not preaching a message on evangelism this morning, but I can say this. That when Jesus asks us to do something, he never asks us to do something He doesn't give us the power to do. And even better than that, in Christianity, in God's kingdom, he not, only asks, he not only gives us the power to do what He asks, but He does it with us. He does it with us. He's not asking us to go out and do something that He's not going to be with us when we're doing it. For those of you who are fishermen, you know that the absolute best way to fish... Do I have any fishermen in here? Okay, well, let me just tell you. Thanks, Brendan. I've got one. Do I have two? Do I have any? Another? This is a terrible illustration. I have no fishermen in this room. Well, let me tell you something. If you are a fisherman, you can learn some skills. You can learn some ways of observing a creek or a lake or the ocean, and you can become a professional fisherman. But even as a professional fisherman, and I am not, and most people are not, the best way when you go to a new body of water to catch fish is to find an expert guide. If you can go with somebody that knows that river, that knows that lake, that knows that ocean and fish with them, you're going to catch fish. I've had two different experiences. One was a few years ago, I went with a couple of buddies of mine and we hired a guide. And he took us out and I realized really early on that the reason that we had paid him was to pay him to fish. He wasn't really teaching us to fish. He took us to all his best spots, and he would cast, and he would catch these big fish, and then he would say, you try, and he wouldn't teach us how to do it, and we'd try, and then he'd speed on to the next place. We spent five hours with an expert fisherman. He caught a lot of nice fish. We didn't catch anything. (laughs) Story number two, on a fishing boat off the coast of Florida with a good friend of mine from college, and we go out, and we hire another expert guide, and he takes us out there, and he takes us around, and he finds the fish with his depth finder. And then he baits the, the, the pole and he says, this is how you do it. And he throws the pole in and he shows us the technique and he pulls up this massive fish. He reels it in. He lets us look at it. We hold it. We take pictures. We think, well, what? for those of us that need to learn how, he shows us how to cast it. He stands there and he talks to us. He watches. He says, put it over there. And he's with us the whole time. And all of a sudden, we start catching fish. And we caught some of the, I'm telling you, they, they, they were big fish. We caught big fish. We caught a lot of fish because we had an expert guide with us. Ladies and gentlemen, the Spirit of God lives in us. And the Spirit of God wants to get out of us. And he loves people who don't know him. And he loves people that are in bondage to sin and enslaved to fear and discouraged and overwhelmed and hopeless. And he loves to bring hope to the hopeless. And he's just waiting for us to open our mouths and to share our love and our life so that he can get out of us into this this world to set people free he doesn't ask us to do something he doesn't give us the power to do, and he doesn't do it without giving us his presence with us. And he reminded us of that, right, when he said in Acts 1.8 in the in-between time, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and, Sam- and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The power of God is upon us to see people set free. He gives us his power. I've been in places all over the world, and I can tell you, where people have been saved. And I can tell you, in every single one of those situations, whether it's one person on the streets of Waltham or Boston, or if it's 10 or 100 people that I've seen saved at a time, every time I walk away from those experiences, I think I think I just had an out-of-body experience because that was not me. I, I couldn't do that. I, what I said, I had, where did I come up with those, those thoughts? Or the, the, the transfer of power as I prayed, on somebody, prayed for somebody, and they start weeping and crying, and they start confessing. I'm like, I didn't do anything. And I realize that the living God is living in me who loves and cares for people's lives. What are the signs that you have seen of God's commission on your life to share the gospel, to live the gospel, so people could be saved? He wants to remind you of that today in those chance encounters with your work associates that have brought the life of Jesus in a unique way that has opened people's hearts to the gospel. That's the power of God. It's the call of God on your life. and He wants to remind us of it again today. Lastly, or second to last thing, we'll be finished here. And now come and have breakfast, Jesus said. They, they got on the shore, back to John 21, verse 12, and he invites them to breakfast. And they didn't dare ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And then, the, then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he had been raised from the dead. And I think there's a couple of things that he's showing them there. One of them is, again, his, he, I believe he's reminding them, bread and fish. Bread and fish. Anybody remember bread and fish? Any stories about bread and fish? There's some good stories. There's a couple of good stories about thousands of people that were fed with bread and fish. Here's some food that I have for you. Remember, I want you to remember that I'm a miraculous God. That I have power to multiply and to do things that you cannot do. That I'm a provider. That I abundantly provide for you and I will take care of you. And I believe not only that story, but that I'll be with you and that we'll have friendship and communion. It's not only the bread and fish, but I believe that when he broke the bread and served them, they remembered that last meal. They remember that time of communion. They remember that time when they were in his presence. And this is when it gets really personal. This is the last point I want to make. These, I believe, through their minds as they're put, putting the pieces together, the resurrected Jesus is before them again. He's reminding them of the call, that repentance, that zeal, that passion, that faith that they, they've experienced in following him, the miracles. All of these things are coming to their minds as I, as I hope and pray that Jesus there on the shore of the lake And he hands out the meal. And I believe as he broke the bread that they remembered that last moment with him. And then I think that Peter had a profound encounter. So one story that we we haven't spoken about yet that I believe was remembered that day was the story of Peter. But it wasn't a supernatural or spectacular memory. It was a tragic memory. You remember the last thing that happened to Peter before Jesus died? You remember Peter, the zealous, faith-filled, crazy disciple that would do anything for Jesus, sat around a fire while he was being questioned, arrested and detained, and was asked, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And Peter said, no, no. And then the last time that Peter said it, he cursed. You think of the worst curse word you could think of, and something to that extent he said while accompanied with the phrase, I never knew him. And he denied Jesus. The rooster crowed. Immediately he's aware of his hypocrisy, his denial. He weeps bitterly and he walks away. Now, Jesus has risen from the grave. He's seen Jesus. But I believe that Jesus set this whole scene up for this moment that he could look at at Peter across the fire and remind him of who he is and to let him know who he is with Jesus and what his destiny will be. And he looks at Peter across those crows, and the rest of John 21 is a story. I'm just going to share it. We're not going to read it, but you can read it if you want to. And he asked Peter this question, Peter, do you love me? Jesus knew that Peter loved him. He wasn't asking for some confession that he didn't know. He was asking the question so that Peter could hear his answer, his own answer. And so that he could hear from Jesus the affirmation that he needed because you see Peter was probably still in the grips of shame, of condemnation, of yeah, you said we were going to call to go and that this is our destiny to be fishers of men, but I am the lousy goofball, the sinner that couldn't even stand by your side when they were going to kill you. Are you kidding me? You're going to commission me? I can believe, yeah, the one that you loved and all these other people. I can. And on Peter, and he said, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And then he said, really powerful words. Implied, you're forgiven. But more than that, I want you to feed the possession that's most valuable to me, my church. I want you to feed and shepherd the people that I love with my life. I think he asked him three times because Peter was still shaking off shame. Peter, yes, Lord, do you love me? I think I feed my sheep Peter do you love me God come on let me off the hook that's what I'd be saying let me off the hook do you love me Sean yes I love you and I am entrusting you with the most precious call that I could give and that's to love the people that I love most that I've died for what do we know about Peter that's what he did the next scene in this story after the ascension is the Holy Spirit Pentecost and who's on the deck preaching to thousands? Peter. You think he's preaching from shame? Do you think he's preaching from condemnation? No. He's free. He's free. Jesus said, you're free. Now preach it. Go for it, Peter. Listen. This is, a, this is our story. This is your story. If you're sitting in this pew and you've been called They're not pews anymore. These chairs. If you're sitting in these chairs and you have been called and you've been saved and you've been with Jesus and you've experienced moments of power, moments of intimacy, moments of denial with some shame and condemnation, Jesus, feed my sheep. Preach the gospel. Be fishers of men. Live the life because I love you. Stand up with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that this is the life that you've called us to. We thank you, God, that there is, no, there is therefore, as Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the spirit that brings freedom has set us free, set us free from that condemnation and that doubt and that self-hatred uh, and whatever we go through. Lord, your forgiveness is real to continue the call on our life. Lord, would you right now flood us with an awareness of the fullness of who you are? Lord, throughout this whole story, there's there's different points for different ones of us in this room. Lord, you're reminding us that Lord, your salvation was real when you called us. Your salvation was real. It cannot be taken from us because you're the one that called. You're the one that saved. You're the one that commissioned, Lord. And you're the one that stays by our side. Even when we are faithless, you are faithful. Lord, we believe in the call that you placed on our life by the lake. We believe. Lord, you have been one who has brought brought us to places of brokenness and awareness of our own sin, Lord. If there is an awareness that we need to be aware of this morning, we'll go there gladly. Because in that place of repentance, there's life. There's forgiveness. There's always forgiveness. If we confess our sins to you, you are faithful. You are just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we thank you, God, for that place of brokenness you're reminding us of and the place where that brings sweet fellowship, sweet commitment to you, to run after you, to run for you. Proclaim that be afresh in our hearts and on our lips, Lord. Would you remind us of the zeal to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that your power rests on us to proclaim, to heal, to deliver whatever the moment needs. Lord, do it again. Do it again in our life. And Lord, if there's any reticence in this room as believers, because we have fallen, we've denied, we've wrestled with unbelief, and Lord, whatever, whatever we would we, would condemn us, Lord, would you allow us to see your eyes looking at us this moment with affection that says, I know you love me, and be about the business of loving my body, be about the business of loving the church, be about the business of loving those who don't know me, I'm with you, you're forgiven. Now go, follow me. Lord, wherever we are, would you minister to us this morning in Jesus' name. If you are in one of those places, you can pray right where you are as we worship. There's no need for anything but you to surrender yourself to the Lord in the way that he wants to speak, but it might be sometimes that you would like to invite somebody else into that place or that journey. Maybe it's provision, maybe it's healing, maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's confession. Whatever it is, if you need somebody to pray with you, we'll have some of our life group leaders, and leaders up front if you need. Let's just worship and respond to the Lord in these moments.